Welcome to Cases and Controversies, the legal podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Jordan Rubin. And I'm Kimberly Robinson. In 2012, President Obama announced the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA, program, which would go on to provide temporary protections for hundreds of thousands of undocumented immigrants brought to the U.S. as children. This morning, Secretary Napolitano announced new actions my administration will take to mend our nation's immigration policy, uh, to make it more fair, more efficient, and more just, specifically for certain young people sometimes called dreamers. The Trump administration wants to undo DACA. Here is then-Attorney General Jeff Sessions in 2017. I'm here today to announce that the program known as DACA that was effectuated under the Obama administration is being rescinded. Now, on Tuesday, November 12th, the Supreme Court will hear arguments on the fate of the DACA program. Later in the episode, we're going to speak to a lawyer who's a DACA recipient himself, who signed onto a brief to the justices challenging Trump's move. So for the third term in a row, following the travel ban and the census, the Supreme Court will have to grapple with an explosive Trump administration legal maneuver, with challengers again arguing that despite the administration's claims that it's simply enforcing the law, dark motives are lurking underneath. Kimberly, how did we get here? Well, this has really been a Supreme Court argument a couple of years in the making. So way back in January of 2018 is when the Trump administration first asked the Supreme Court to step in and decide the DACA issue. And speaking of explosive legal maneuvers, it did so through a kind of request that has really garnered a lot of criticism of the Trump administration in that it asked the Supreme Court to essentially jump over the lower courts of appeals and just decide the issue for itself. So this is something that we've even seen the president himself talk about, that he thinks that he doesn't get a fair shake in the lower courts of appeals, but does in the Supreme Court. So the Supreme Court didn't really bite on that one. Um, It dismissed a petition. More petitions came to the court. It sat on them for a long time, and they kind of languished on the docket for many months until eventually the court decided to take up three cases that have all been consolidated. And these are three cases out of the Ninth Circuit, the Second Circuit, and the D.C. Circuit uh, that are challenging the wind down of DACA by some states, by individuals, and by organizations like the NAACP. All right. So we're going to get into some of these issues a little bit more with our guest, but What's the gist of the issue here? I mean, the Obama administration single-handedly established DACA. So why can't the Trump administration likewise single-handedly undo it? Well, that's exactly the argument that the SG makes, this kind of common sense argument. Um, But it's really a twofold one. So the solicitor general says first that federal courts can't review this kind of decision because it's something that's committed uh, to agency discretion. So this might sound familiar to court listeners um, who were following the travel ban case. There, in the travel ban case, as in here, the Trump administration is saying, look, this is something that Congress has left up to the discretion of the agency. There's not like there's a statute that is telling the agency how to act. And so courts can't just come in and substitute uh, their own judgment for the agency. It's something they have to stay out of. 
The other part of that argument, they say, is that even if the court can review it, that their reasons uh, for winding down DACA are are reasonable. And they point to kind of a companion Obama-era policy called DAPA that was for relatives of these dreamers. Now, this was a, a program that was found unlawful by the Fifth Circuit. It actually went up to the Supreme Court, and they were going to hear the issue. But Justice Scalia passed away, and they ended up uh, splitting four to four, leaving the Fifth Circuit's ruling in place. So as it stands now, the Trump administration says, look, if DAPA is unlawful, DACA probably is too. You know, there are some distinctions between the programs, but that's kind of the simple argument that they're mm-hmm. that they're making. So the plaintiffs challenging DACA really seize upon that argument. And they say, look, if you are saying that your hands are tied with regard to DACA, that you have no discretion um, to enact such a policy, well, then, of course, that's not something that's committed to agency discretion. And that's something that courts can review. And they go on to say that, you know, the determination that DACA is unlawful was actually incorrect and so therefore not reasonable. All right. So there's a couple of moving parts here, different ways that the court can tackle this issue, it seems. And even they don't necessarily even have to maybe get into whether DACA is actually lawful or not. Could just sort of be determined on the threshold question of whether courts are even allowed to peer into what the administration is doing. Absolutely. And that, of course, might be something pretty attractive, given that it's going to be probably handed down in, in the right in the middle of the election season. So we'll see what they say. So our guest today is Jose Magana Salgado. He's the director of policy and communications for the President's Alliance on Higher Education and Immigration. Jose, thanks for joining us on Cases and Controversies. Good afternoon, and thanks for having me. So You bring a unique perspective to this issue. Uh, You're a lawyer as well as a DACA recipient. What's it like looking at this case from that perspective heading into the DACA argument at the Supreme Court? Well, I think for many people, this is kind of a question of law. For DACA recipients like myself, it's a question about life. This decision is going to affect careers, education, how we move freely, even things like family planning, because it affects how we're going to be able to take care of ourselves, our family, where we're going to be able to live, and what educational opportunities we're going to be able to pursue. You know, I and others like me demonstrate the capability of like DACA to empower and provide opportunity and expand the tax base. And for us, this decision is very personal, and that's why we're sincerely hoping that the Supreme Court makes the right decision. So you were involved in some earlier litigation. Um, how is it that you've gotten involved at the Supreme Court here uh, with the wind down of DACA? Well, in this case, I'm working with the President's Alliance. We're shepherding um, over 160 institutions of higher education to file an amicus brief known as a friend of the court brief, essentially arguing that the end of DACA um, would not only negatively affect DACA recipients themselves, but students on campuses, higher education institutions, and the communities that they're a part of. DACA recipients in the context of higher ed bring about a tremendous amount of diversity, contributions to campus leadership activities such as extracurriculars. And in many cases, DACA allows these institutions of higher um, education to build a strong alumni network, which in turn provide um, success um, and a positive impact for higher education institutions. And that's one of the things that the amicus brief seeks to communicate to the Supreme Court and, again, ask that court to make the right decision. Yeah, I was struck when I was looking at the uh, amicus briefing in this case that it reminded me a lot of the um, affirmative action cases that we've heard recently where we see um, not only 
universities weighing in, but also a lot of big businesses weighing in to say, you know, this is something that's that's not only good for education, but it's it's good for business too. Absolutely. And I think that's why we've seen such an enormous constellation of different entities file amicus briefs. Um, I believe over a thousand different um, amici filed all sorts of different briefs, everything from business to higher ed uh, to affected individuals um, to legal scholars, all with the same resounding message. The administration's rescission of DACA was unlawful, and the Supreme Court should follow the lead of multiple federal district courts that have agreed, issued preliminary injunctions, and have essentially said that these DACA recipients deserve to maintain their status and be able to at least pursue the American dream. Jose, pushing back a little bit on the the merits aspect of that, you're saying the rescission is unlawful, but just sort of looking at it on kind of a basic level, if this was, if DACA was something that President Obama had the discretion to undertake, why is it not something that likewise the Trump administration doesn't have discretion to undo? At the end of the day, the executive action to establish DACA is very much different than the action to rescind the program, particularly when you have over 700,000 DACA recipients whose lives would be upended, not to mention their family, their employers, their communities, uh, and the rescission of those work permits and protections from deportation uh, warrant some sort of due process. In this case, the courts have essentially concluded that executive actions must be done in a lawful, constitutional and procedurally correct manner. And there are serious legal questions as to whether the rescission was done procedurally correct according to things like the Administrative Procedure Act, and whether that rescission was constitutional, e.g. whether it was fueled by the proper underlying motives. In this case, there's a question as to whether racial animus and other improper motives played a role. And we have multiple federal district courts that have essentially said the way that the rescission was went about and the underlying rationale Um, raises questions regarding whether they were constitutionally and legally appropriate. So I would urge the Supreme Court to look at those decisions and the extensive records that they're built upon and make the right decision in terms of maintaining DACA moving forward. And if it turns out that the Supreme Court winds up siding with the Trump administration, I mean, practically speaking, um, what does that mean for you? What are you thinking about in those terms heading into the argument? Well, for me and others like me, it'd be anywhere from one to three more years of DACA, um, depending on exactly what the court rules. Uh, But frankly, it would be a professional and economic blow to my livelihood and the livelihood of other people's like me. But at the same time, it would also be a psychological, a cultural blow. This message that essentially says that we are not wanted in this country. Uh, Me, myself, in spite of 30 years of residency uh, in this country, would essentially be told to get out. And the decision, uh, particularly a negative decision, would force me to restructure parts of my life dramatically, where I travel, how I interact with law enforcement, uh, my future plans, both professionally and personally. And at the same time, we have this dynamic where all of a sudden, 700,000 immigrants will be subject to deportation as their DACA expires. And this administration has all their addresses on file and has shown a willingness to try and deport as many people as possible, um, even those with long-term residency or other powerful equities that would normally demand that those individuals stay in the country. Well, Jose, uh, thanks for sharing that view with us. Is there anything else that you think is important for our listeners to know as they're tracking the case? 
The only thing I would flag is that me and uh, other folks like me are very passionate in terms of being able to stay in this country and continue to contribute and give back to the only place we've ever known as home. Um, While the conversation revolves around DACA, it's still important to know that many of us continue to advocate for our families and friends and communities who may not have DACA, that there is a broader undocumented population that currently has no protection, that's subject to these harsh enforcement realities every day. So while we will continue to fight and advocate for initiatives like DACA, uh, we want to make sure that we all keep an eye on the broader immigrant population and ensure that our mothers, our fathers, our sisters, and those without protection um, are equally protected one day. Well, Jose, thanks so much for coming on to Case and Controversies. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, that was really interesting. You know, one of the things that he said that I thought was really important to kind of flag for our listeners is he mentioned that, you know, the possibility of the Trump administration targeting undocumented populations and a lot of efforts to kind of get at that group of immigrants. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, the Supreme Court is hearing a lot of cases this term that challenge some of the Trump administration's uh, movements in this area. And I, I just last week we had a couple of grants in immigration cases that kind of deal with these populations. So Yeah, there's like a whole uh, separate immigration mini docket. Yeah. yeah, the Supreme Court is, is going to weigh in a lot on this area, not just in DACA. Uh, some more for listeners to listen for in uh, future episodes. And again, the DACA argument is going to be on Tuesday, November 12th. So something to watch for in our coverage there on news.bloomberglaw.com. And until then, thanks for listening. Hi there, I'm Amanda Icone, co-host of Talking Tax. Each week, we dig into the biggest tax and financial accounting challenges and opportunities from policy to on-the-ground realities. We bring you corporate leaders, accountants, and industry insiders. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. For more, check us out on news.bloombergtax.com.